Welcome to this episode of the Revolution and Ideology podcast. We're going to take a little break from our Myth is America series and go back into some Revolution and Ideology content. This episode is actually the audio of a couple of YouTube videos that we have on our YouTube channel that we use in our course on resistance and revolution. Uh, they're both uh, short videos. The first one it defines the four types of social movements, and the second one goes into the specifics of what constitutes a revolution. We wanted to do this episode because we very often run into the incorrect uses of the term revolution, and the video will cover that a little bit. Uh, so just a short break from our Myth is America series so we can get some crucial terminology and concepts uh, in this episode. So here we go. One of the earliest and most comprehensive frameworks we get for how to analyze a social movement comes from American anthropologist David Aberley in 1966 in his book titled The Peyote Religion Among the Navajo. He provides us with a really great definition, and he says, a social movement is an organized effort by a group of human beings to effect change in the face of resistance by other human beings. By this definition, a social movement is differentiated from purely individual efforts. From unorganized group efforts such as crowd action, if indeed these efforts are truly unorganized, and from efforts at technological change which proceed only against the resistance of the material world. Under the heading of resistance by other human beings is included passive resistance or apathy. It should be noted that the definition does not require that the resistance be organized. And he goes on to give us four types of social movement, and those are alterative, redemptive, reformative, and transformative. And he categorizes these based on how much they are trying to change and what they are trying to change. So whether or not they're trying to make change at an individual level or at a societal level, and whether they're seeking partial change or total change. So going through each of the four, an alternative movement is after partial individual change. It aims at partial change in individuals. An example of this would be like mothers against drunk driving. They're after uh, the simple individual goal of trying to make people stop drinking and driving. Another example of this would be efforts to promote recycling. Uh, they're merely trying to get individuals to uh, recycle their garbage. So the alternative movement is after partial individual change. Uh, redemptive movements are after total individual change. Uh, so these aim at a total change in individuals. The defining characteristic, Aberly says, is the search for a new inner state. Uh, these are most likely, re most often, religious movements. So going after a total change in a person. So a religious movement uh, that promises salvation through a complete personal transformation, uh, as an example. Then we have reformative movements. These are after partial social change. Uh, Aberly says they aim at partial change in social systems. So an example would be the women's suffrage movement, the movement for women to gain the right to vote. They merely wanted to change a part of the system. They wanted to have the equal uh, voting rights the same uh, as men. 
Uh, so reformative movements are after partial social change. Then we have transformative movements. Uh, these movements are after total social change. So Aberly says these aim at a total change in social systems. Uh, revolutions uh, fall into the category of transformative social movements. Uh, an easy way to determine between uh, transformative and reformative is that the people that are involved in a reformative movement usually want to be included equally within the current system. So the women's suffrage movement that I mentioned, they wanted equal rights, uh, equal to men, but within the current system, they wanted to be able to vote. Transformative movements, revolutions, typically seek to somehow change or destroy the current system altogether, rather than merely being uh, included equally within it. So that's a, a way you can determine between uh, the two. Aberly provides us with a lot of discussion on how we should classify movements, and he gives us a few things that we need to look out for. The first thing he talks about is that social movements are usually, if not always, combinations of the different types of social movements. So never is a movement uh, purely uh, transformative, as an example. Uh, so movements are usually one at one time and another at another time, so they might change throughout the course of the movement. Uh, also, very often at the same time, they are more than one type of movement. So a revolution might be after complete change in a social system, but at the same time is also after a change at an individual level. So we have to be uh, concerned about that when we're classifying social movements. We also have to analyze the ideology of the movement as a whole and the ideologies of the individuals and their behaviors that are involved in the movement. So a movement might have uh, very specific slogans and mottos and policies that they are seeking, but we also have to analyze the day-to-day -day behaviors of the people within the movement. Uh, there might be a contradiction between those two things, or they might be uh, exactly identical. But when we're classifying a movement and trying to determine whether it's alternative or transformative, uh, as an example, we have to look at what's actually going on in the day-to-day -day lives of the people involved in the movement, as well as the formal messaging of the movement itself. The other thing we have to take into account is uh, we have to contextualize social movements when we're classifying them. So we have to analyze the historical periods in which they are occurring. Or if we're analyzing a modern movement, we have to look at modern society and analyze that uh, that the movement is existing in. So we need to consider things like, what are the power dynamics of the time? What position, what groups are in power? What groups are seeking power? What kind of repression is going on? Where is that taking place? Is it at the institutional level or the individual level? We have to analyze things like what the norms are in society at the time. Uh, and that's specifically important when we're talking about the means that are used by a social movement. Because the means that a movement used uh, a century ago might be uh, not acceptable to use today in modern society. It might go against the norms or vice versa. So we have to contextualize the movement historically when we're making that analysis. So American anthropologist David Aberly in 1966 provides us with a really great framework to analyze and classify social movements. So what is a revolution? This term gets thrown around all the time, especially in modern advertising, where you can find anything from uh, revolutionary slippers to these revolution apartments in North Carolina where you can live revolution. 
Now, of course, this is all completely nonsense. And just so we're all clear, no one should want to live revolution. People lose their lives. They're incredibly violent and bloody. No one should want to live through that. Uh, people only reluctantly go through a revolution. So what is a revolution? Uh, academically, um, dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, political scientists and sociologists and economists and historians, etc., have provided a definition of what it is to be uh, a revolution, what qualifies as a revolution. So if we take all of those, we can come up with a pretty concise and well-thought-out definition of revolution. So here's one. A revolution is a rapid, successful, and significant transformation of at least one institutional structure of a society, and an exchange of fundamental beliefs or values of a society as a result of a popular uprising utilizing non-institutional means. So that's a, a lengthy little definition, but there are very important uh, parts in there. So let's pick some of them out uh, and go a little more specific. So first off, it has to be rapid. Now that's a little bit subjective. Is rapid in the course of a day or six months or a century, uh, but at the very least it can't take place over thousands and thousands of years. Uh, so that doesn't qualify as a revolution. It must be, must be somewhat quick. Uh, it also has to be successful. So the term a failed revolution, uh, in academics at least, isn't a thing. Uh, something doesn't qualify as a revolution unless it successfully uh, results in change. Uh, it must be a significant transformation. So minor changes in a society are usually reformative, uh, not transformative. They're not changing a society overall. They're just changing small parts of a society. Uh, there must be an exchange of beliefs uh, or values or both in a society. So usually accompanying that large institutional change, the significant change in a social structure, uh, usually that's uh, alongside that is a change in beliefs and values. Something new uh, is important in that society, the way they think, the way they behave, the way they believe, uh, and so on. Also, it must be a popular uprising, so it must come uh, from the people. Now, this is a debate within academia. Uh, many people talk about top-down revolutions where the elite in a society are responsible for changing significantly the structure of society. Uh, so just know that that's a debate that is out there. But for our definition, we're going to say it has to be a popular uprising. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, it has to use non-institutionalized means or illegitimate means. So it has to use some means that aren't widely accepted by the people in society, that don't go along with the norms of society. So as an example, a significant change that would be brought out by democratic means in American society through the electoral process, voting, etc., that can never be classified as a revolution because it's using institutionalized, legitimized means. So it must take place using means that go against the norms of the society in which it is taking place. Uh, so that's our definition of revolution. All right, that does it for this episode of the Revolution and Ideology podcast. Like I said, a short break from our Myth is America content. If you like the audio that you heard from those videos, be sure to subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can find it. Uh, it's titled Revolution and Ideology. In addition to putting all of our podcast episodes up there, we also have all kinds of short videos like the two you just listened to, uh, content related to our courses and other things. Uh, you can find us online, revolutionideology.com. Once again, I'm Nick Lee, and we will talk to you next time.